The strongest stars have hearts of Kaiba. I'm one with the force of forces with me. Now witness the firepower of this fully armed and operational battle station. We'll use the force. That's not how the force works. Well, that starts somewhere. Okay, welcome everyone to the KyberCast. This is episode 158, recorded on September 26th, 2002. A little bit different format than we're used to. Usually Actually, Joe and I uh, talking about geek stuff and just going on and on and yammering, uh, talking about the geek news and then talking about whatever, uh, whether it's Game of Thrones or a Marvel movie that came out this week. We're doing something a little bit different this week. I wanted to take a minute here and have everyone... Uh, well, obviously this isn't live, but we had a special guest today, and that guest today is Scott Dunbeer from IDW Publishing. How are you doing, Scott? I'm good, Mike. How are you? I am fantastic. Thanks again for agreeing to do this. I really do appreciate it. Uh, we just want to take some time and uh, talk to you about some geek stuff. Uh, I think you're the right man for the job. <laughs> so, um, to get things started... Uh, hopefully this story is not too embarrassing, but I wanted to uh, tell a personal story from uh, several years ago at a Chicago comic book uh, convention. I don't know if you'll remember this or not. So uh, again, this was several years ago. This was back when you were at Wildstorm, so a long time ago. And uh, we showed up at Wizard World, me and some of my friends, and I went to the uh, Wildstorm panel. Oh, Locked this in. is the uh, the cookie story, right? This is the cookie story, yes. Sure, sure. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So uh, for the listeners out there, um, I was a huge, huge fan of everything Wildstorm was doing at the time. Uh, Joe Casey and Dustin Wen were doing a phenomenal run on Wildcats. As there, anyhow, long time ago, but some great, great comics were coming out of Wildstorm. And uh, showed up to the panel, and unfortunately, only like four other people that showed up to the panel, instead of sitting in this massive uh, conference room, Scott's like, let's just go to the cafeteria here at the, uh, at the convention center in Rosemont. So it was something that is burned into my memory as a fan, as an appreciator of comics. We got to all sit around with these creators and just talk comics as we sat around a table munching on cookies, and it was just four or five creators, four or five fans, Scott. It was absolutely fantastic. So, a, a cherished memory of mine. So, thank you for that, Scott. Yeah, it was my pleasure. I uh, <clears throat> uh, I had forgotten about that until you mentioned it on uh, Facebook recently. Oh, really? That's awesome. That's awesome. So let's 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 jump in right in real, real quick there, Scott. So, um, let's. Uh, so you are currently, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, you are currently the special projects editor at IDW and have been so since, what, 2008? Do I have that right? Yeah, that's right. Now, tell me exactly, what, what exactly is a special project? Uh, you know, it varies, you know, artist editions, art books, creator-owned comics, uh, you know, just sort of um, anything I feel like doing. <laughs> Wow, that's uh, that's some that's some uh, creative uh, leeway you have there. That's awesome. 
I've been so, there for a while. This is true. So yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. You you got started out by uh, in the '80s, like selling original comic book art. Is that correct? Or it was yes. before that? Yeah, no, that's right. I started selling art in the early '80s, and I uh, did it uh, through uh, the mid '90s. Uh, how did how did you get started in selling original comic book art? How did that how did that start off? When I was a kid, I lived on 87th and 2nd, and I went to PS 190 on 82nd between 1st and 2nd, and literally halfway between my apartment and my school was a comic book shop called Super Snipe, which was one of the earlier comic shops in New York. And they had a an art gallery on the side around the corner uh, that just sold original comic art. And I used to go in there and I would look at the pages and, you know, I became uh, sort of hooked on the idea of original art. I had seen original art before, but um, I think I bought my first page maybe when I was uh, uh, 15 or 16 at, uh, at Super Snipe. That's fantastic. Yeah, I remember, you know, I've been a comic book fan since uh, probably was 10, 11 years old. And the first time I saw an actual comic book page, I'm like, I mean, obviously people know this now, but it's it blew my mind at the time how much larger it really is. I mean, it's it's it, it's crazy. I mean, and then so the level of detail that some of the artists get into that, you know, it shows up on the page mostly, but because they have to shrink it down, sometimes some of that detail is lost. And when you see it up, you know, I was as it was drawn and how it was intended to be. It's uh, it's breathtaking most of the time. It's fantastic. It's good stuff. So, um, do you remember who was the uh, artist of the uh, first page you bought or not? I actually don't. <laughs> that's, that's okay. That's okay. So, dealing art, obviously, uh, I'm assuming that helped uh, get your contacts going in the comic book world. I'm assuming you became known for that. That was kind of your. I mean, that was your bread and butter for the longest time, correct? Yeah, it definitely helped when I uh, uh, became an editor. Right, right. And so was was Wildstorm then your first editor job, or had you been an editor somewhere else before? Um, I, You know, I helped out some friends from time to time. I was sort of an assistant editor on a book called A1, which was an anthology book out of England, and my friends... Gary Leach and Dave Elliott uh, were the editors of it, and I helped them because we were friends. I was sort of like the American liaison. Gotcha, gotcha. And that was, uh, was that in the 80s or was that in the 90s? Uh, That was probably 87. Okay, okay. So I I know it's years back, and I know you've moved on since then, but how did your, how did you get, looped in with Wildstorm and Jim Lee and that whole group? Uh, Jim and I had been friends. I think we met in 87 or 88, uh, I think at WonderCon. And, um, you know, we hit it off. We uh, both like to gamble. Um, We have similar um, senses of humor. And uh, I never, at that point, I never sold his artwork. But we became friends, and when he would come to New York, uh, we'd go out, we'd shoot some pool, uh, occasionally play poker. 
And when he started Wildstorm at Image, he started offering me jobs. Uh, I think the first time was in 80, I'm sorry, 92. And I said, well, what would I do? And he said, ah, we'll figure it out. And so <laughs> I turned him down. And then in 93, he again offered me a job. And again, I said, well, what would I do? And he said, ah, we'll figure it out. And so I turned him down. And then in 94, um, it was a little bit different. I was coming out to, uh, to uh, Comic-Con and I went out to his house and we played some cards and he, we went on a drive to the Wildstorm offices, you know, this is before they were, had been built out and we just walked through and he just said, this can be your office. This can be your office. This can be your office. And I, you know, and again, I said, well, what am I going to do? And he had an idea. He had a plan uh, to do prints and to sell artwork and this and that. And, you know, I, I had gone through a uh, breakup. My girlfriend and I uh, split up and I thought, eh, maybe, maybe it's time to try a change. And so right. I took him up on it and I came out in April of 95 and it's funny because Jim told me that he thought I would last six months because, uh, you know, I'm a New Yorker and, <laughs> uh, and, but, you know, I uh, wound up, um, sticking it out and eventually I wound up doing more. Well, actually not eventually, but pretty soon I wound up doing less and less prints. And I, I remember I used to tell Jim, you know, why don't you, try this creator, this writer, this artist, you know, and I said, you've got, you've got plenty of guys that draw like you, but I think you should try to get some guys who don't draw like you. And, um, I, you know, he said something like, you know, okay, smart guy, you know, so much you edit a book. And so I did the uh, gen 13 ordinary heroes with Adam Hughes. And after that, I, uh, I became special projects editor and I started doing different books and then an insane twist one day, not that far in the future, Jim said to me, Jim told me he wanted me to be editor in chief. So I became editor in chief and, uh, and that's how I got into editing. That's how I became uh, the editor in chief at Wildstorm. That's awesome. That's awesome. He, you put on the hard sell, huh? He really wanted you there. Yeah, you know, he saw something in me um, that I didn't even know was there. And uh, um, you know, I'll be grateful to uh, Jim my entire life. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, you mentioned, you know getting into comic book art as a, at a young age, you obviously were a comic book fan for a while. Did you ever think, you know, as a kid that you'd be working in comics professionally as an adult, you know, you know almost your entire adult life? You know, I never really gave it a lot of thought. You know, I never really, you know, people talk about five year plans. I, I had probably a five minute plan, you know, not really, uh, not really something that I uh, dwelled on, you know, much to my mom's chagrin. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I can I can just see it. I mean, 
my mom's the same way. I, I if I told her that I was, you know, well, doing a podcast, you know, she's like, why? <laughs> but you know, you enjoy got, it exactly. If it's something you enjoy, you just do it. So, so that kind of begs the question. So, you, uh, what, what did you do before you were into comic book? like uh art collecting and, and dealing and that kind of stuff did you have a day job before like what was your what was your life before you ended up in a career in comics <clears throat> you know i mean when i was a kid i you know i had a paper route right. um i uh when i was a teenager i worked uh, i worked uh at a deli um Worked at a couple of comic book shops in New York, Action Action Comics, on Second Avenue, and uh, you know, I, I sort of didn't really have any. Uh, you know, my my first real job, I feel like, was working at Wildstorm. Really? You know, I mean, I, again, I worked at a deli. You know, I mean, I worked at a comic shop. Those didn't feel like careers they just felt like you know some something to do at the time no and that's fair i was just wondering if there was a secret origin of scott dunbeer who went to school to become an accountant and somehow ended up (laughs) but that that's not your story although i'll 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 tell you i'll tell you one thing that it's not really well known and but i don't hide it Uh, i'm a high school dropout really i i did not know that you know when i was when I was a kid, my uh, my dad died when I was five, and it was 1968, and it was a pretty substantial insurance settlement, and my mom liked to move. And so we moved, you know, by the time I was 18, I probably lived in 15 different places. Holy and, God. you know, people always say, were you a military brat? And no, I wasn't. I was a brat, but not a military brat. And so eventually, I remember the longest place I ever lived was when I was from seventh grade to 10th grade and from actually the second half of seventh grade. And, you know, that was the first time that I had a very steady place to live. And so I was in school, I was doing okay. And then at the end of 10th grade, my mom decided to move again. And I was, I was, you know, not the happiest guy in the world about it. You know, I was hoping to graduate with my friends and. Right. Cause uh, that's going to be hard as a kid. Cause you're pulling up roots. And it's now, are you moving like from state to state or is it all within the New York area? My, my mom used to like to move to California and to New York. So, you know, at that point, I probably lived in California four or five times between the ages of, you know, seven and 17. And then she would move back to New York, back to California, back to New York, back to California. And so, you know, I think in like 11th grade, I just kind of gave up, you know, I gave up school and, uh, and uh, and here I am. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a that's a tough time for a kid because you know that's when you're figuring out who you are and who you're going to be, and you know that's when you're making those, you know, you're you know I, I, other people and making friendships. I I, I don't want to make it sound like I had a really tough time. I mean, you know, my mom, 
you know, was very sort of unique. You know, she was kind of a hippie and, um, you know, she was doing the best she could. And, you know, she was trying to figure out what she wanted to do after my dad died. And so, um, um, yeah, yeah, she was, she was fine. And it was, it wasn't, I guess it was, it was tough, but it didn't feel tough at the time. It just sort of felt, you know, annoying. Right. Now, when you say you moved back and forth from California and New York, I mean, California is a big state, New York's a big state. Were you moving like back to the New York City area or are you moving all around California? California was mostly in the San Fernando Valley. You know, we lived in Woodland Hills, Calabasas, Chatsworth, you know, all those sort of places. And I worked at a deli called Solly's, which was on uh, Ventura Boulevard um, when I was when I was a teenager. And then in New York, um, you know, it was either Manhattan or uh, we lived in. Hartsdale, New York also. My grandmother lived in White Plains, so okay. uh, my mom moved to Hartsdale uh, a couple of times. And in New York, it was so crazy. We actually moved We actually moved into the same building in New York twice uh, on 87th and 2nd. So, Really? Same exact building? Same building. That's crazy. Well, it was a big it, building. <laughs> well, yeah. well, obviously, uh, it didn't affect your uh, your life and your career terribly. I mean, like you said, here you are still working in comics, uh, doing very well at it. That's fantastic. I mean, I mean, you, for a geek like me, you're living the dream, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I I uh, I love what I do. Do you still read a lot of comics? Not too many anymore, although I'm reading, I just got this in the mail a couple of days ago. I'm reading this right now. Oh, the new, yeah, that's the new one with. Um, yeah, the Alex Ross Fantastic Four. Yeah, yeah I've heard yeah. good things about it. It's great. Really enjoying it. That's fantastic. Yeah, that new Alex Ross Fantastic Four looks so good. You know, it, it, I hear what you're saying, though, because, you know, I used to obviously read comics, all the superhero comics all the time, but then. I shifted away for a while and I actually stopped buying the single issues and I moved to trades just because I couldn't keep up, you know, month to month, just trying to read the comics. I know people that have switched to complete digital. They're just like, I don't want the stacks of comics anymore, but I still, there's still something very physical about comics that I love. I mean, don't get me wrong. I will read digital comics and, but I, oh, I think you know better than anyone, you know, that's the tactile, you know, the touch and the feel and the smell of a comic book is, whether it's a trade or a collection, it's just, you, it's, you can't replicate that. No, there's definitely something about holding a comic in your hands and opening the pages and you know, seeing the art, reading the story. That's a really great experience. I agree. I agree. So swinging back to your, your current position now, um, what's, what's a typical day for you? Like what, like for someone that doesn't really understand the comic book industry, like, can you describe like, what exactly do you, you wake up and then how'd your day go? Um, you know, I wake up, you know, probably around seven thirty and, uh, get ready for work. Uh, I 
um, get dressed and I, uh, I then uh, go to my office, you know, the commute's pretty good. It's about 30 feet from my bedroom and <laughs> it's not a bad commute. Uh, I'm sorry. That's not a bad commute. Not a bad commute. It's definitely better than it used to be before the pandemic when, uh, it was like a 45 minute drive to work. But, um, you know, and I, um, I get a lot of emails, so I answer my emails. I check, uh, on, um, you know, various things. I have zoom calls. I, uh, uh, do some work on a variety of books, whether it's artist editions or other things. So how many projects do you think do you typically have running at the same going at any one point in time? Um, it's hard to say because some of them are sort of very um, sort of off in the distance. You know, I'm still working on them, but not not um, as much as ones that are closer, you know, probably five, six different things at any given time. Um, I just, um, I recently approved to print the Kevin Nolan artist edition. Uh, that was a few weeks ago. And then last week I approved the trade paperback for the Rocketeer, the great race. And, oh, um, you know, I'm working on uh, Bloom County uh, book two, the new soft cover collections we're doing. Um, today I approved a foreign edition of the Martini edition Last Call for a Spanish publisher. Um, actually, no, I didn't approve it. I told them they needed to make some changes and get it back to me. Um, so, you know, it, my days vary quite a bit. Well, you did mention, you know, your commute has changed. You used to have a 45 minute drive. So obviously, depending on you ask, we're either at the tail end of COVID, the pandemic or not, I'm not here to, you know, discuss or debate that. But my question is, how did, how had, how had COVID, did it affect your job much other than the commute or? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah? well, you know, IDW, you know, like many companies, we furloughed a number of people. Um, some people came back, others didn't. Um, it's always sad when you lose people, especially in a way like that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, we rebounded and, uh, you know, we're, I think we're as strong a company as we have been in the past. You know, we've, had a lot of ups and downs, but I think uh, we're now on the upswing. So that's good. Good to hear. Because yeah, I know some smaller publishers, small publishers went under. I know several people. Uh, well, a friend of mine, he used to own a comic book store, and you know, COVID was rough. I mean, they quickly because they had to sure switch to online orders and getting people connected to the comics that way, and you know selling what he could online just to keep the place afloat and they did were they able to maintain business they were they were good. in fact uh that's good to hear it was, yeah it was fantastic it was um bridge city comics up in portland oregon so great little comic book shop there um but yeah it was uh it was rough I mean, we uh we interviewed him as well just because you know everything changed overnight everyone's job was different you know it was, well, you all know you you live through it but 
Glad to hear that IDW is strong. It's totally upswing. That's good. So, uh, obviously, you're a lifelong comic book. I don't want to say geek, but yeah, comic book fan. Um, what's the favorite thing you, about your job? You know, it's it's hard to say. I mean, when I get a you know, a great script and, and I read it and I think, wow, that's really well done. Um, you know, same thing with artwork, seeing, you know, pages come in, covers come in. Um, you know, I've, I've been very lucky in my career. I've worked with a lot of really, really talented people. And, um, you know, that's, that's always a thrill. And, you know, doing artist editions is fun because I love original art. And so I get to scan a lot of art. You know, the New York Comic Con is coming up and I will be at the IDW booths, you know, which I'm not even sure how many we have, but it's a fairly decent size uh, set of booths. And I'll be set up in there with uh, my scanner and uh, I'll be scanning, you know, right now it's looking like a couple hundred pages. Wow. And so I love that. I love, I love holding the art, seeing it, enjoying it, seeing it for the first time. Because, you know, when you see original art, like you said, it's uh, a unique experience. Do you uh, have some pieces in your in a personal collection of art pages that are dear to you? Um, I don't know if you can see behind me, but uh, there's a Sam Keith Wolverine cover. Uh, from Marvel Comics Presents number 97. There's also oh, yeah. uh, the splash page to a story called uh, Night of the Stalker from Detective Comics 439, written by Steve Englehart and drawn by Salamandola, which is my favorite Batman story of all time. Um, That's your favorite. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if you can see it, but... There's a Jim Lee X-Men cover up there that uh, was a gift from uh, from Jim a number of years ago. Wow. That's impressive. I mean, all of that is impressive. Yeah, X-Men number six, but anyway. That's awesome. So, of those, is the Batman, is that your uh, most prized possession there? You know, it's hard to say. I mean, that's my favorite story, but, you know, I, I have uh, a bunch of different art by... Uh, a bunch of people that really means a lot to me. Um, you know, probably the probably the thing that means the most to me is a um, Jack Kirby drawing of Captain America waving, saying "Hi, Scott," uh, that he did for me when I was sixteen. That wow, that I'm almost breathless on that uh, to actually have a piece of Kirby art, and let alone Captain America. That's that's impressive. That is so cool. That is so cool. All right. So we talked about your favorite thing about your job is what's your least favorite or isn't there one? Generally doing podcasts. No, 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 no. no. Just kidding. Just oh, I kidding. set myself up for that. Yeah, I, I actually really enjoy uh, doing podcasts and things like that. And, you know, I've known you for a long time. And so, um, you know, I, obviously I was kidding. Uh, you know, it's... It, you know, I guess the worst thing about my job is when something goes wrong. Uh, right. I invariably am able to 
when a book comes out, go right to a mistake that I see instantly, uh, which is very frustrating uh, because I look at things a lot before they go out and a lot of other people do too. So um, it's always very worrisome to me when a new book is coming out and I'm thinking, God damn it, what went wrong? So, Right. Well, with like the, uh, the artist collections that you do, you're dealing with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pages of original art. You've never had a calamity or anything where like a, a piece got ruined or couldn't be scanned, did you? Well, there was that thing with the turtle. turtle. No, I'm making that up. I'm making that up. Okay. Um, no, I, you know, I'm very careful with artwork. Um, I've never had anything damaged when I was scanning art. Uh, I always make sure to be as careful and respectful as possible. Um, you know, I mean, some of these pages are worth literally hundreds of thousands of dollars at this point, which is kind of right. insane. Um, I mean, when I was selling art, you know, if stuff was worth, you know, tens of dollars, that was about the norm. You know, I, um, you know, now if you look at heritage, the prices that they realize in their auctions are, are just, you know, kind of crazy, you know, I mean, hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of dollars. Right. Yeah. And you're entrusted with it. You. That's... Well, yeah. I mean, you know, at, yeah, it, it's much more complex now because of the value, but you know, I've also been doing this for a long time. And so people right. trust me and they know I'll take care of their art. And that's why, you know, I used to just have a, have a hotel room at different shows and I'd have people, well, people would generally just give me their art and then I would go back to my hotel and in the morning, give it back to them. And, you know, they still, there are a lot of people who still are fine with doing that, but I feel less comfortable about that. I'd rather have the ability to scan stuff at the conventions and, um, just have people wait and give them back their art after uh, after I'm done scanning it. Right, right. Because obviously, the more you got to move it and touch it and get it around, you know, the more risk is involved, right? You know, I have this fear that uh, if people know what kind of art I'm carrying around at, to a hotel, that I'll get mugged or something. You know. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, if you've got some, you know, like you said some piece of art that's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars and someone knows that. Yeah. I mean, well, speaking of that, uh, not necessarily someone robbing you, but I know with a lot of these artists collections, obviously you're seeing a lot of original art for some classic artists, some amazing things. So out of those, is there anyone that really kind of made you fanboy for a moment? Like, wow, I can't believe I'm seeing or touching this or, is there one that stands above? You know, I don't know if it's that kind of a response, but, you know, I mean, I see a lot of stuff that I love seeing. Um, and, you know, I, I've seen so much in my career as an art dealer and now doing artist editions. Um, I'm not really shocked by anything. You know, I don't, I don't really get kind of giddy about it, but I certainly love looking at it. Right, right. 
No, just curious because uh, you know, obviously, I'm sure you've seen. I mean, you've you guys have put out some stuff, you know, from all the big, you know, classics. So I'm, I'm sure a lot of amazing stuff has passed through your hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I appreciate you once again taking the time to you know talk on our podcast, talk about geek stuff, talk about what you do. Um, is there anything from IDW that you'd like to plug or anything personally? Um, the, um, the Todd McFarlane Spider-Man artist edition is coming out this week. Um, that's one of our uh, best selling artist editions to date. Uh, that and the Jim Lee one, the Jim Lee X-Men are the two most popular so far. Um, Coming out next year is Kevin Nolan's artist edition uh, of his Marvel work. A lot of it. Um, I'm a big fan of Kevin's work, so that's that's an, a one that I'm looking forward to. Uh, oh, also this week is uh, an EC Stories Artisan edition, which is uh, smaller. It's eight. It's eight by twelve inches, uh, but it's um, got a lot of great stuff in it. Um, I'm a, I'm a huge EC fan from uh, my days as a uh, kid. Oh, yeah. The old horror stuff? I'm not really a, a horror guy. I'm more science fiction and war and okay. crime and shock. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yep. Well, let me ask you one more quick question. Sorry. Just that. Oh, take so your time, you man. Mentioned, well, you mentioned, you know, the Todd McFarlane edition, you know, that's coming out, the Spider-Man. How exactly does that work? Because obviously Marvel owns Spider-Man, but Todd, I'm assuming, owns his work, right? Marvel owns the copyright and trademark to Spider-Man. Uh, Todd drew those pages and he was paid for them. Um, we could not do these books without Marvel or or DC or whatever publisher, or if it's creator-owned, uh, without the consent and permission. So we pay a licensing fee to Marvel uh, for a book like that. And Todd will get a you know, pretty decent royalty check for it because we pay royalties on all these books to the creators. Unless it's a creator-owned book like Hellboy, for instance. Um, that is owned by Mike Mignola. So when we right. did uh, our two Mike Mignola artist editions, uh, it was... Uh, through him, not through Dark Horse. Gotcha. Gotcha. Which makes sense. I was always mm -hmm. curious about that because, yeah, I, I've seen you put out, like I said, so many awesome things by so many awesome creators, but I'm like, wait, but that came out from Marvel or that came out from DC. I was always, always kind of curious how that worked. So they still get paid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, anything, uh, anything you're geeking out about lately other than comics? What, uh, anything that, um, what's your whistle when it comes to geek stuff? Um, I don't know if it's geek stuff, but I really, uh, there are a few TV shows that I've been really enjoying and I'm looking forward to them coming back. Uh, like, uh, my favorite show is like Ted Lasso. I don't know if you've seen that. Oh, fantastic and, show. Yeah. And there's another show called, um, uh, also from Apple, uh, For All Mankind, that I really enjoy, an alternate space story. Oh, I, I really um, wish Joe was here because he loves that show. I haven't checked it out yet, but he just goes on and on about it. 
there's a show that uh, I watched recently called uh, Night Sky, which is fantastic. It's by a guy named Holden Miller, who is Dennis Miller's son. And he created the show on Amazon Prime. And it has an amazing cast. It's Sissy Spacek and, uh, oh God, I can't remember the guy's name, J.K. something. He was J. Jonah Jameson in... Uh, oh, yeah, in, uh, J.K. Simmons. That's it, J.K. Simmons. He did that great movie, Whiplash. But yes. so he and Sissy Spacek uh, are the stars of this show. It was eight episodes... And it starts off very slow, but it really builds. And eventually it ends on an amazing cliffhanger. And now Amazon did not renew it. So screw those guys. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Oh, don't you hate that? Oh. Yes, I do. I do. I, I've heard good things about that show, too. I need to check that out. Because, yeah. Well, it's it's really good. But, you know, I don't know if you should watch it. Because, again, it ends on this cliffhanger. It's like you ever see the... Uh, the, the worst cliffhangers ever were like the Sarah Connor Chronicles. I don't oh, know yeah. if you saw that show, yep. but in the last episode, on the last episode, he goes to the future, John Connor, and they say, who are you? And he says, I'm John Connor. And they go, who's John Connor? And that's the ending. <laughs> Which is crazy because, yeah, John Connor has been the whole point of Terminator since the first one. You know, so now yeah, it but, doesn't matter. But you know, it's it's a business. So I, uh, as a fan, though, I can totally uh, cry foul on it. You know, not so much a, a cliffhanger, but I remember watching the first season of Stumptown, and just my my partner and I, we loved that show. We she thought it was great. I thought it was great, and then unfortunately, that was a victim of COVID, and it you know obviously didn't get a second season. Oh, it was so good, so good. There was a show called uh, Journeyman, and that, that was the victim of uh, the writer's strike back in, I don't know, 2014, 2015. And oh, it was yeah, a really was good it? show. It was a time yeah, travel was, show. Yeah, yeah, and, that was it. And then uh, and then because of the writer's strike, it just didn't make it. Yeah, I hate when that happens. Yeah, that was. I remember that show. That was good. Awesome. Do you watch, How about uh, you? What have you been doing? Oh, well, I I have to admit, I am new to the Game of Thrones world. I never watched the original series when it came out. I'm more of a sci-fi guy, in which our listeners know what, all too well. I like some fantasy, but not a lot. Mostly I'm sci-fi. So, But I didn't have HBO back in the day. And it was like one of those things, ah, eventually I'll watch it, right? I'll get to Game of Thrones. And now House of the Dragon is out, which is the prequel series. Like I was at hundreds of years ahead of time or before. And like I said, I came in as pretty much a Game of Thrones virgin and just blown away. I am totally hooked. And now I'm like, well, now I've got eight seasons of Game of Thrones I have to watch at some point. Yeah. That's a great show. Uh, loving, loving House of the Dragon right now. And uh, I mean, the, the typical Marvel stuff. I mean, uh, you know, I'm watching She-Hulk. You know, anything, anything Marvel puts out, even if it's not something I'm usually interested in, like I, I, I don't think I've purchased a She-Hulk comic my whole life, but their shows are entertaining. I, I've not been disappointed by one yet. I used to love the She-Hulk comic when John Byrne did it, you know, as you know, John, besides being a very talented artist is also a very good writer. You know, yes. like, I loved his Fantastic Four run also. 
it's funny because you know everyone wants to give the credit to Chris Claremont for that amazing. You know, in don't don't get me wrong, Chris Claremont did do a fantastic job on X Men, did a lot of amazing things, but a lot of people forget that it was him and Byrne initially. You know, when they were doing the the new X Men, the international team. He does. Unfortunately, I don't think he gets enough credit for that. Everyone wants to, but you know, don't get me wrong. Both Byrne and Claremont are both very talented men, but yeah, Byrne can write. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Very, uh, very smart guy. Good writer. Uh, yeah, I like John. Do you uh, do you pay attention to the MCU? Is that something uh, that interests you or no? What you mean the movies or, or yeah, just the movies, the series, all that stuff. Yeah, you know, I, I, I watch a lot of them. I mean, uh, I got to say I wasn't enamored with uh, the Eternals. Uh, but, you know, I I love a lot of the uh, other movies. You know, uh, the first Iron Man's a great one. Iron Man or uh, Captain America First Avengers is a great movie. Yes. Uh, Avengers, you know, I mean, there's some really, really good movies in there. I couldn't agree more. I mean... I remember when Iron Man came out, I thought, oh, my God, they did it. That's the best comic book movie I've ever seen. Unfortunately, a couple months later, The Dark Knight came out. And then I was like, that's just an amazing movie, right? You know, I can't even, I mean, you can call it a comic book movie, which it is. But it's even just as a movie, it's fantastic. Now, which one is that? Is that the first Batman movie or the second? The second, Nolan and Bale. Okay. You know... I love that movie up to a point, but is this, is this a hot take on <laughs> a movie that's ten years old? It 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 really had a couple of major major problems for me, and yeah, you know, hey, not that anybody cares what I say about it, but um, the um, it might have it might have been my favorite superhero movie ever if they would have ended it an hour earlier, you know, I, I mean, because it becomes a, it should have ended when two face wakes up in the hospital and you see his face and, or when Harvey Dent wakes up in the hospital, you see his face rather than go into an entirely new movie, you know, and then it becomes the two face story. So to me, if they would have ended it there and then done a two face movie later, that would have been ideal, but it just it. became relentlessly grim. And, you know, it was already very grim. I mean, a lot of, you know, horrible things in it, but, you know, Heath Ledger was so great in it and there was so much great stuff in it, but, uh, you know, they, they should have ended it literally an hour earlier. At least that's my, that's how I feel. No, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. And, and as far as the third film goes, uh, there's some awesome moments in it, but yeah, it was, I don't know. There were two great movies and one all right movie, I thought. Actually, it's funny. I had a, um, I had an argument with Neil Adams about the first one because I told, I told him that my problem with that movie was that Batman basically at the end of the movie on the train when he uh, didn't save, uh, I don't know, was it the Scarecrow? I can't even remember the uh, name of the villain now. Oh, um, Ra's al Ghul. Ra's al Ghul. He didn't save him. And so I, I said to Neil, you know, 
it, I didn't like when he basically killed Ra's al Ghul. And Neil said, no, no, he didn't. He didn't save him. And I said to Neil, what's the difference? You know, if you don't save somebody, you're, you made a choice not to and you kill them. And, and it was the only time I think I've ever spoken to Neil where he actually reconsidered and said, oh, my God, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> he was a man of very strong opinions. Yeah, yeah. You make a good point there, though. You're right. Well, awesome. Again, I want to thank you, Scott. I know the KyberCast thanks you, but seriously, you've uh, you've been uh, wonderful to a fan like me. Like I said, I, I know we've known each other tangentially a little bit over the years, but I, I appreciate you coming on the show, and I appreciate you uh, taking some time to talk to us. It's absolutely my pleasure, Mike. And if you ever want me to come back, just let me know. Will do. So once again, everyone, that was Scott Dunbeer here on the KyberCast with us. Uh, what did you think? You, uh, if you had some thoughts, please let us know. We're on Twitter and Instagram at, Kyber, or at KyberCast. Or if you want, you can find us on Facebook as well. We have both a group and a page at the KyberCast. One more time, thank you very much, Scott. It's been a pleasure. I hope you have a wonderful evening. Thank you very much.